Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you're with me once again, and I'm very thankful for this study series that we have on reasonable faith. Aubrey Ballard came into studio a few weeks ago. We recorded a few different podcast episodes together, and this one took a long time, specifically about two hours. And uh, there are four parts to it, and so I have decided to break it into four smaller segments. And each week I'll try to post a different segment in this uh, podcast about reasonable faith. Now, I have to make a confession to you about the behind the scenes because Aubrey's not going to be joining me on every one of these episodes due to some user error on my end. You see, uh, I'm a one-man operation by and large, and while I do have some volunteers and help from time to time, uh, specifically in this podcast, I'm typically the one who has to be the sound engineer and the producer and the host and the editor and everything else about it. And I didn't go to school for this kind of stuff, so it it was a learn-as-you-go process. And, you know, uh, shame on me, since this podcast has been going for a couple of years almost, you would think that I would have some of the basic problems figured out. However, there's something called a sample rate, and I won't get into it. When your input sample rate and your recording sample rate and your program are different, it sounds like either the chipmunks or you are in the witness protection program and the FBI is trying to hide your identity. And so during the conversation that I recorded with Aubrey, because I didn't have a sound sound engineer to be checking on our progress and things like that, uh, we ended up recording about half the episode as though we were both hiding from someone and had our voices lowered really low so that no one would know what we sounded like. And uh, it really does distract from the message, and so I have been able to salvage some of it but I haven't been able to salvage all of it. Now, at this point in the show, I'm not certain how all four episodes are going to turn out. You see, I'm leaving for Cambodia in about a week, and uh, so I'm going to try to wrap up as much of this stuff as I can. I may try to have Aubrey join me uh, via telephone to finish up some of his episodes, but I'm going to step in and look at the notes that Aubrey had sent me ahead of time that I use for making questions, and I'm going to introduce the concept to you. Aubrey will join me in just a moment because about uh, a few minutes of it were lost because of the lack of correct sample rating. Anyway, because of the issues with the sample rate, the first part of our podcast didn't work out together, so I ask you to be patient with me as I go through this introduction on reasonable faith. Now, when we talk about uh, reasonable faith, you know, if we someone asks us, for example, why do you believe in the Bible? Uh, what would you say? And somebody might say, well, I just have faith. And you know, that, that sounds good and it sounds noble, but really it's just conceding the claim that, that faith is believing something when you don't really know much about it. And that's what an atheist will oftentimes use towards people of faith is that uh, we believe something without any evidence or in spite of the evidence. While that type of faith might be true of some people, it should not be true of biblical faith. And so the faith that God wants us to have is a reasonable, uh, evidence-based, defensible faith. And, you know, we, we don't want to just check our brains at the door of the church house. In fact, uh, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the Bible says, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And, you know, loving the Lord with all your mind is a calling for us to have a evidence-based faith, one that's reasonable, where we're not afraid of what others might bring up or arguments they might have because we are genuinely interested in discovering truth. And we know that that truth lies in God. We love Him with all of our mind. You know, one way that, we, that we're able to love Him with all our mind is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And I've had a guest on here recently who talked about it. It was Jamie Thompson. And he brought up this point. I'll read the scripture first and then make the point. Uh, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. Now, the word defense in Greek is apologia. And apologia, it doesn't mean that you're sorry for being a Christian, but you're giving a reason or a defense for the things that you believe in. And, you know, this isn't a new concept. It's always been a part of gospel preaching. Uh, you could consider Philippians 1, verse 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 3, 2 Timothy 4, 16. You, you get the idea here. Uh, we have to practice and grow in our apology or our ability to provide reasons and defense. And, and we do that so that we can uh, grow in our own strength, but also to convert the lost. And, you know, uh, when we talk about providing an, an evidence, or, or, or rather evidences for reasonable faith, it's really uh, overwhelming if you haven't experienced it before. And so, you know, the first challenge might be, where, where do you actually begin? And, you know, depending on the circumstances, uh, you're going you're gonna to frame a discussion a different way. Somebody's wondering, you know, why Christianity over skepticism or Buddhism or Hinduism, Islam, or in our culture here in America, secular humanism. There are four general questions that demonstrate that Christianity is, in fact, the most reasonable worldview, more reasonable than ones in our culture here in the States that oppose Christianity and then other worldviews around the world as well. And you know what? You don't have to be an expert in all of world religions and philosophies in order to adequately present a defense of the gospel of Jesus. If you can answer yes to these four questions, then Christianity is true. And it's the only view of the world that correctly explains who we are and where we came from and why we're here and where we're going. So what are these four questions? Well, that's what these episodes are about. And uh, I hope that as you're able to listen to Aubrey and I through them, that you can come to understand a reasonable faith in your life as well. And so the four questions are, does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament true? Now, as we begin this, uh, Aubrey in his notes explains that there's actually two categories of evidence that we use to answer these four questions. There's biblical evidence and there's extra biblical evidence. And the first one that Aubrey talks about uh, is biblical evidence. And that's kind of the, the internal proofs, you know, uh, characteristics of the Bible, self-authenticating attributes, uh, scientific foreknowledge, fulfilled prophecy, unity of scriptures. We've talked about that on this podcast. I have YouTube videos about that as well. And, and these internal evidences defy natural explanation, that they point to a divine source. And in addition to biblical evidence, there's also 
extra biblical evidence, uh, these external proofs such as archaeological finds and historical accounts, philosophical arguments, scientific discoveries, and, and this is all intended to corroborate the testimony of the Scripture. We're now going to jump into a conversation with Aubrey that I was able to salvage. So without further ado, let's join the talk. And so with that in mind, I guess what you're suggesting is know who you're talking to. Uh, if I were to be speaking with an atheist, I probably wouldn't want to just be quoting Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to win him over. First, I need to maybe begin uh, with something other than Genesis 1-1. Is that what we're getting at here? I think you're right. You say you need to know your audience. You've got to start where they are. If you read through the book of Acts and read the sermons that were preached and the accounts mm -hmm. of conversion, right. the preacher would... Um, meet people where they were. If they were talking to pagans, they would talk about the importance of believing in God. Paul would begin his sermons to the Gentiles by talking about this uh, creator who created all things. If they were talking to, we might say today, churched people, or at that time, people who were Jews and knew the Old Testament scriptures, they might talk about the prophecies about the Christ. Right. And so if you told an atheist today, well, Genesis 1-1 says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You would be making a true statement, and uh, we believe in the inerrancy and the authority of the scriptures, but since they don't believe that, they might accuse you of, of circular reasoning. Right. And since Peter tells us to be ready to give a reason for the hope that, that lies within us, I think we need to use the evidence that um, might be the most... Um, effective in that situation. For example, we have what we'll call natural revelation. Okay, I mean, what's the, that? And, and, this, and I don't want people to think that we're giving evidence apart from the scriptures because uh, the Bible says in you know, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for right. correction, instruction, right. and righteousness. Thanks for bringing that out. Yeah, and, we, we're using it in conjunction, not in isolation. Right, but but even the scriptures themselves teach that God has revealed certain things about his nature through creation. And these are things that a person can know before they ever see a Bible. Now, the scriptures are going to reinforce and expand on these truths, but the truths are themselves self-evident from looking at creation. And I think what I'm trying to say is you use those as a starting point in your search for truth. Okay. Um, now, th this natural revelation that you mentioned, uh, is there anyone of consequence who's used that? You kind of mentioned briefly that, that people in the Bible use some of these extra-biblical proofs. Can you give some examples of that? Absolutely. Um, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 alluded to this uh, very idea in, in verse 20 when he said, Since the creation of the world, his, that is God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's saying there that uh, even people who didn't have a Bible uh, right. were able to discern or deduce from the evidence around us in creation that there is an eternal, all-powerful being uh, who created us, and that we have some sort of moral obligation to him. Mm. Um, okay. Jesus uh, used this line of reasoning when he was trying to uh, teach people. I, I think of an example in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 through 45, where basically he's, he's teaching people that they ought to love their enemies. You know, in this famous passage, Jesus is um, giving kingdom legislation, but uh, there were um, people who wanted to know um, 
you know, here's the Pharisees over here, and they seem like these super righteous people, and, and they say this, what do you say? And uh, when it came to love and who you ought to love, Jesus shocked them by saying, love your enemies. Mm. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. But then in verse 45, he made a very interesting point. He said that if you do this, then you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So, in other words, if you want to be like God, then you need to love even your enemies because that's what God is like. Now, he followed that up by proving that that's what God is like. And he expected his audience to to know that God is a loving God. But in order to show that, he didn't quote a scripture. He said... uh, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just oh, okay. and on the unjust. So he was pointing to natural revelation. And he right, was saying right. they should have been able to see just from the seasons um, uh, and the, the sun rising and the rain and the crops and those types of things that this God who created the earth to sustain us is a benevolent God. And Paul and Barnabas used a similar method, didn't they? Yeah, that's over in Acts 14. Uh, they were preaching to a group of uh, pagans, and to introduce the idea of this all-powerful creator who is a loving God, they said, um, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So mm-hmm. they too are referring to uh, you know, the water cycle and the seasonal cycle and the fact that we live in a, on a habitable planet to show that um, there is a God and some of his attributes. Right, and it says that, that these were, these are the witness, that these cycles are, in fact, the witness that God used to prove that he's real. So I, I'm encouraged by that, that this natural extra-biblical revelation should be evident, although I think, you know, there are those who are going to plug their ears to the truth no matter how simple it may be. Let's jump into the four questions that help us have a reasonable faith. With, with these principles in mind, first knowing that Yes, the scriptures are from God and we can use them for our benefit. But then for those who maybe don't value the scripture, we can use uh, these natural revelations, extra biblical things as additional proofs as well. Now, the first question uh, that you are asking and, and I'd like to maybe ask to you and have you comment on is, does truth exist? That's a interesting first question. Why are you starting with that one? Well, in my experience... Jonathan, sometimes um, someone who you're speaking with will question something, call into question something that you assume to be a foundational, uh, self-evident truth. I mean, we tell our kids when they're little, always tell the truth. And of right. course, that presupposes that truth exists. And all my life, I can remember going up, growing up believing that certain things were true and certain things were false. We were told never to lie. And even just looking around at creation and and observing how the world is. There are certain observations you make about the world and you take those to be true. So imagine a person's surprise when they're in a discussion with somebody about the existence of God and someone says, well, there is no truth. Truth doesn't even exist. And you scratch <laughs> right. your head and go, huh? I mean, what, how, how do, do I, I start respond that? to that? <laughs> yeah. So that type of claim or question can be intimidating. It can throw you off. But what I want to... Um, demonstrate here is a method whereby you can recognize almost immediately what we're going to call a self-defeating statement. Okay. Um, um, and, and then we'll maybe get into some of these questions about truth, but sure. let me illustrate it first, then people be be ready. Um, if I said to you, 
Jonathan, I can't speak a word in English. <laughs> you would do that because right. <laughs> obviously the sentence I just spoke was doesn't make any sense. English doesn't make any sense. It's self-defeating. Or if I said, uh, you know, my brother Bradley, uh, he's an only child. Right. <laughs> okay. <It'd> be weird. <laughs> Everything I say is a lie, including that statement. Would sound really odd, <laughs> inc- especially including that statement. You would say, well, if if that's a lie, you know, there's this. It sort of creates this confusion. Or one of my favorites: all generalizations are false. Right. There's well, there's a paradox to it. Right? Yeah, those are silly <laughs> statements. But if a college professor or if an outspoken skeptic or somebody who's an expert in a certain field makes a claim like that about one of these important issues, it can be pretty intimidating. It sounds so, credible sometimes. Yeah. And uh, so by learning to detect those things, it'll make you almost like a human lie detector overnight and a uh, much more confident defender of the faith so that those grandiose statements don't seem so intimidating. Well, I guess I'd like to challenge our listeners, maybe if they have access to a notebook or something, to maybe write these down. I find that helpful for me is if maybe I have notes, uh, maybe in the margins of my Bible or just in the notebook I use for whenever I'm recording information, write these questions down because like you said, you're going to kind of demystify some of the uh, intimidation that comes from whenever somebody asks them. So brother, what I'd like to do is I'll ask the question as though I'm the skeptic, and I'd like to give you the opportunity to answer to it. Okay. So uh, say you're having a conversation with somebody, and they kind of just throw up their hands, and they say, well, you know, there there is no truth. How do you respond to that? <laughs> well, I, the first thing I would wonder is, is that true? Because uh, <laughs> they've just made a truth claim that there is no truth. And as you pointed out earlier with the other examples, that's a a self-defeating statement. If Mm. it's true that there is no truth, then the statement, there is no truth, cannot itself be true, even though it claims to be true. Right. So pointing that out um, might uh, force someone to reconsider the position that there is no truth. Is that similar to the question, there are no absolute, or the statement, there are no absolutes? You know, you're... You're making an absolute by saying there are no absolutes. Yeah, I think so. The same vein. Uh, Somebody might say it in a different way. They might say, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. So let's Ah. say you've done a good job. You've done your homework, and you've uh, used evidence to show somebody that Christianity is true. They might say, well, that's true for you, but but not true for me. Or sometimes Mm. it comes across a little bit differently. I find that in our culture today where relativism is... um, just very, very popular right? and very accepted. Uh, whenever I share my faith with somebody, whether it's on an airplane or uh, the airport or wherever it is uh, at school, um, rather than meet uh, uh, a firm disagreement, most of the time what I find is people just kind of nod their heads and, and say, well, that, that's good for you, but but I just kind of believe a different way. And it's that whole attitude of true for you, but, but not true for me. Just trying to shrug it off instead of, Right. Facing the facts, people don't seem to think it's it's that important, mm, and okay. uh, and so <laughs> I read this in a book the other day. You know, we're talking about atheism and, and theism right now, but one of the problems that confronts our culture is is apathyism. Mm. Just apathy. I, I just don't think it's that important. So you're going to find that, and this might be an easy out for somebody. And so since we're trying to remove hurdles out of people's way and help them to believe the gospel, we want to address that question. So. Um, to me, it sounds like they're making a, a, a universal truth claim that truth is relative. And so when someone right. says, well, it's true for you, but not true for me, I, I want to ask, well, is that 
philosophy true for everybody? Because if it is, then the true for you but not true for me uh, idea can't be true. Right, right, okay. Um, the, the Bible addresses this as well, and I, I want to say a word to Christians here. You know, you brought up a question at the beginning of, of our podcast when you said someone might ask you, why do you believe this book? Why do you believe the Bible? And a Christian might say, well, because I have faith. And I just want to remind everybody to be careful in, in how we use that word because the Bible teaches that faith is based on, you know, the credible, reliable testimony of Scripture. You know, all, all uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans, right. Romans 10, 17. Okay. So we want to be careful not to lead people to believe that it's, we, we just say the Bible is true for me because, you know, what you believe, Jonathan, or what I believe doesn't change whether or not the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I aren't going to float away if we stop believing in gravity. It just, <laughs> it just so happens right. to be true for everybody. And so the Bible is true, period, whether you and I accept it or not. Uh-huh. It has nothing to do with whether or not you and I believe it. But, but God wants everybody to believe it. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul said that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm. So truth exists. It's not relative. It's absolute. Well, what if somebody feels pinned down, you know, by these statements? Maybe they've they've been able to be apathetic in the past, but you have successfully reasoned with them that they're inconsistent in their worldview. And so they just try to throw up their hands and say, well, you know, you just shouldn't be judged so judgmental. You, you, you shouldn't judge others. You know, that's like the, the, the one Bible verse that is in fact <laughs> universally known as don't, don't judge others. Right. The golden text of the Bible. There it is. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to be disparaging about it. It's a very important scripture, but you're right. People pull it out of context and make it mean something that it was, is never intended to mean. In fact, that statement itself is an evaluative statement. It's a judgment statement. Um, talking about the rightness or wrongness of judging somebody. So when somebody says, you shouldn't judge, what are they doing? Well, oh. <laughs> they're making a, a judgment statement. Right, right. And okay. so my follow-up question might be, well, is that a correct judgment? Because uh, the context, of course, as you know, and I would encourage our listeners to go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 and, and the following verses and read Jesus' statement about not judging. And you'll see very quickly he's talking about hypocritical judgment. Right. But in John chapter 7 and verse 24, he said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Mm-hmm. So everybody makes judgments, even and especially the person who says, you shouldn't judge. And so I think the question should not be, well, do we judge? Or do we not judge? But the question is, is your judgment correct? Does right. it agree with God's judgment? And right. of course, the only way we can know that is through the scriptures. Okay. Well, I think, uh, again, that, that there might be someone who's uncomfortable with being pinned to the wall. And it reminds me of uh, a certain governor in the Gospels who was kind of pinned to the wall with truth. And so his great question was, what is truth? And, you know, so what if somebody kind of comes to that conclusion of, well, you know, you just can't know truth. You know, how, how are you going to respond when people really aren't wanting to engage? Right. Well, that's uh, often used almost as a pass. It's not; it doesn't come across as um, aggressive or combative, but it's a way for someone to sidestep the conversation. Say, "Well, we not only I don't know, but we can't know." Mm, and right. in fact, they might even say, "Who are you to think that you can know?" Right. Well, to say you can't know truth 
you're probably a step ahead of me here, is, of course, itself, again, a truth statement. Right. You might ask somebody like that, well, do you know that's true? Or how did you come to determine that that, that was true? Mm-hmm. Um, and in John chapter 8 and verse 32, of course, the scriptures teach, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so I don't know the truth and you don't know the truth because we're anything special, but God has revealed it to us mm-hmm. you know, through Jesus and in the scriptures. So that's an important you know, response to that question. But to summarize these, and there's probably a lot of other ways to phrase it, Jonathan, but anytime a person makes a truth statement claiming that there is no truth, right? or anytime someone makes a judgment statement saying one shouldn't judge, then that's a self-contradictory, self-defeating statement, and it cannot be true. And I think the method is to um, make the person aware of that so that they can uh, see. So yes, truth does exist. It's a self-evident fact, and I think it's important to establish that as the foundation because otherwise we can get through these other questions that we're going to talk about, and it'd be very easy for someone to circle back around and say, well, yeah, but it's true for you, but not true for me. Right, right. Now, I want to point out here to our listeners that uh, we've probably spent a good 10 minutes or so just answering one question. And if you do have the opportunity to study with people, to have a Bible study or have a conversation where you're going to try to engage them in these questions, you might not get through all four of them in one sitting, and that's okay. It's good to engage and and have a healthy conversation if it takes one two, three, four times to get together to do it is better than just trying to blow through them. So I'm grateful for us maybe slowing down and chewing on that question a little bit. Let's consider another one, though. Does God exist? Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And I know it's kind of a cliffhanger. We're jumping straight into the next question there at the last moment. Does God exist? But I want to encourage you to come back next week and listen to the question Listen to the answers that come from natural revelation and that also come from biblical revelation as well. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, and it'll take you to all the different places that this podcast is available. And I would like to say again, because I feel like I have this conversation with many people again and again and again, Some of the most common places that you can find a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Music, these places all host Pure and Simple Bible. All you got to do is go to the search bar in your podcast app on your phone and search Pure and Simple Bible. It'll be the first hit. There'll be a PSB on the logo. So please subscribe. I'd love to hear from you in a comment, maybe on social media. If you're on one of those things, Let me know how the episodes are going, what you'd like to hear next. I'm very open to hearing what people have to say about it, and if you have uh, any help whatsoever, I'd love to hear from you. Now, you can go to the website. I say it every time, and I will continue to do so. So go to the website, check out the study series, the YouTube videos, and all the other podcasts that are hosted there from the past couple of years almost. And until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, Israel was in some trouble, and God.